Hey, Disney fans, looking for the latest in Disney news? And interviews with some of Disney's biggest stars? Well, have we got the podcast for you. Welcome to D23 Inside Disney. I'm Jeffrey from D23. I'm Sherry from Oh My Disney. And I'm Tony from Good Morning America. And together, we're taking you Inside Disney. Hello, beautiful people. Hello. Hello. I'm so excited because by the time this podcast comes out, we will all be together at Walt Disney World. <gasps> Yay! Can't wait. I mean, it feels like I hang out with you guys every week here in my closet, but I can't wait to be with you in person. It's going to be great to see you beyond a little Zoom square. Same. So for those of you listening, tomorrow, Friday, October 1st, in honor of the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World, we will be airing a special video episode of D23 Inside Disney, 50 Magical Years of Walt Disney World. It'll be airing at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific. You'll get to see me, Tony, Sherry, some very good friends of the pod, and some Yay. very special guests. Ah, can't wait. Write it down, Mom. That's, that's it that's all the disney news you need to know this week the end yeah. have a magical yeah. day thanks again for listening uh, to d23 inside <laughs> <laughs> well and speaking of the 50th anniversary coming up on the show we have a principal architect at walt disney imagineering jonathan peters who talks about some of the ratatouille details and the details in the expanded france pavilion that you don't want to miss he talks about how do you build a restaurant in space when there's not one to actually <laughs> go off of <laughs> And creating the creation shop, which I think all of us are very excited to visit. Mm-hmm. Oh, can't wait. Mm. Well, Sherry, what have you been up to? I finally watched Nona and 20-something, the Pixar Spark Shorts oh, on Disney+. So, Plus. so, 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 so good. I can't pick a favorite between the two. They're both amazing. 20-something was super relatable, even though I am 30 or what I call 20-something-ish. <laughs> right there right on the cusp but yeah loved that and I cannot wait to watch a spark story I gotta get that ready for the plane ride nice and Tony what about you oh my gosh you guys I finished nine perfect strangers on the Hulu (laughs) yay I have a lot of questions throughout this whole season but I will say without spoiling it it was a very satisfying ending Ooh, I'll leave you with that I need to watch that I definitely need (laughs) to watch it Hmm. How about you, Jeffrey? I actually got to be with friend of the pod, friend of mine, the amazing Disney legend Bob Gurr to celebrate his 90th birthday. <gasps> oh my gosh. I watched yes. your poem. Oh my oh. goodness. It was so good. <laughs> Jeffrey, hats off. What a great celebration that was. Thank you. Yeah, I was really honored that Bob asked me to do the toast. It was, oh, it was so great. Uh, and I got to sit next to him. It was, it just was like totally surreal. Technically his actual 90th birthday though is not until October. So I plan on celebrating again with him and you know, hopefully a vaguely more <laughs> intimate setting. It was very, totally but it loud. was so fun. Friend of the pod, Brett Iwin was there. So it was great to see him. Wow. And a bunch of people who said that they listened to the show, which was just so nice. So thanks to everyone who came up and said hi. So that was fantastic. Aw. Yeah. Uh, but let's get into some news. The hilarious new trailer for Muppet Hondo Mansion came out. It's so funny. It's everything. It is everything. It is yes. all that and Yvette Nicole Brown. So it, <laughs> it is so funny. If you have not seen it, you can check it out on the Disney Plus handles, um, on the Muppets handles. It's so funny. I cannot wait to see this when it comes out on Friday, October 8th on Disney Plus. Ooh. 
I love that. Okay, well, trailer alert number two, the official trailer for Welcome to Earth, hosted by none mm. other than Will Smith, is out, you wow. guys. It's a six-part original series from National Geographic, which starts streaming this December on Disney+. Plus. It's a really breathtaking trailer if you haven't watched it already. And Will is getting up close and personal with some of the most thrilling spectacles on the planet. So I'll leave that to the imagination. You've got to see the trailer. No spoiling it for me. Well, I'm going to, I mean, it's a trailer, but I am, so I am going to say when they're in that underwater vehicle and they turn the lights out and all of a sudden they like. Wild. So wild. So definitely catch that. Welcome to Earth. Coming soon. Well, listen up, goblins and ghoulies, because I've got some holiday news for you. Not Christmas holiday, but, you know, (laughs) pre-Christmas, a.k.a. Halloween. Okay. (laughs) Disney Halloween time is returning to Hong Kong Disneyland Resort. Yay! After a two-year break, the iconic villains are back and ready to step into the spotlight where they truly belong, let's be honest. Let's Get Wicked is a stage show that is starring Ursula, Cruella DeVille, Dr. Facilier, Gaston, and Mother Gothel. So that mm. sounds awesome. Cannot wait to see pics and vids. There's tons of photo ops with characters all in their Halloween best, of course. And let's get to the food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Main Street Corner Cafe is going to have a poison apple specialty drink, which is pink lemonade dragon fruit with a poison apple ice cube. and the recipe, official recipe, consists of one part magic potion. Oh, so obviously. There that you go. Sense. Good to know. <laughs> Love that. I've been spending a lot of time on Hulu myself. I'm really excited for this one. The Orval is coming to Hulu. Woo! I do love me some Seth MacFarlane. I mean, yes, of course. (laughs) Starring Seth MacFarlane, Hulu revealed the premiere date for the long-awaited third season, which fans have waited three years for. Wow. Which is crazy. But premiering on Hulu March 10th of 2022. Totally worth the wait. Well, I've got some sweet news, literally sweet news. Main Street Confectionery has reopened (gasps) at Magic Kingdom Park just in time for our visit, but also for the 50th anniversary (laughs) of Walt Disney World Resort. I don't know what they're planning around. I think they're planning around us. I'd like to believe Sherry, they heard you were coming and they're like, "Uh uh-oh, Miss Park Treat herself (laughs) is is coming. Let's make this happen. Exactly. They're like, we need to make a candy wall just for Sherry. And I'm happy they did. There is a candy wall, which includes not one, not two, but 38 varieties of M&Ms and Skittles. Mm. You can also get your own personalized popcorn experience. There's the candy kitchen area where you can watch cast members make and decorate all your favorite treats like candy apples and Mickey crisp rice cereal treats. And there are more than 30 new items that you won't find anywhere else in the whole entire universe. So check it out. You guys know where I'm going to be any free second we have this week. <laughs> I was going to say, like, we're like, we got to roll. Where's Sherry? Oh, the confection. <laughs> well, no, right. We're going to find her. There is no place like the Main Street Confectionery, you guys. Oh, my goodness. I love it. Love it. Truly. Well, you know what time it is. <gasps> Snack time. Um, more sweets time. Christmas time. It's time Ooh. for five fantastic things to watch this weekend, courtesy of our friends at D23, the official Disney fan club. For complete details, visit D23.com. Tony, what's up first? Well, first up this weekend, you'll be able to celebrate Disney World's big 5-0 from home with the most magical story on Earth, 50 Years of Walt Disney World, airing Friday night, October 1st, obviously, at 8 p.m. Eastern on ABC. 
hosted by Disney legend, drum roll please, Whoopi Goldberg. Woo! Wow! But wait, there's more. The primetime special will feature performances in front of Cinderella Castle by also Disney legend Christina Aguilera and the supremely talented <sighs> Halle Bailey. I promise you, you're not going to want to miss this one on ABC. Wow. Well, also on Friday is the DCOM premiere of Under Wraps at 8 p.m. Eastern on Disney Channel. As we've talked about on the pod before, remake of the 1997 Halloween classic. So that's finally here. We've talked about it for so long. It's true. Well, and also, I mean, there's a lot coming to Disney Channel on October 1st because you got mm. the series premiere of The Ghost and Molly McGee, which, you know, it, it we've talked about this before, but it stars, you know, Molly and her family. They move into a home and there's already a grumpy ghost there. And since people already call me a grumpy ghost, I'm very in tune with this show. <laughs> Also on October 1st, new to the Hulu library is Tooth Fairy with our pal Dwayne Johnson. So check that out coming to Hulu. And on Saturday, October 2nd, headed back to Disney Channel, season three premiere of Amphibia. So very fun there, especially because one of the guest voices is Disney legend and our pod pal, Bill Farmer. Too cool. On to today's guest, who is a principal architect of Walt Disney Imagineering. Over his time at Disney, he's worked on every single attraction at Disneyland Resort. So there's a lot to talk about there. And he's now overseeing the expansion projects at Epcot. Please welcome to the show, Jonathan Peters. Yay! Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. We're so happy to have you. First off, what does a principal architect do? So as you can imagine, when Walt Disney Imagineering works on a project, we have a huge, incredibly talented project team that we work with. So a principal architect is just one small component in that team. In my role, I oversee, in terms of my current role, I oversee many different projects at Epcot. I assemble a team of concept architects and project architects to execute the work. We're responsible for partnering with all of our different lines of businesses creative directors, artists, sculptures, pretty much anyone involved in a project, they have to come through us because we're ultimately the ones that are assembling all the drawings and the specifications that get the project built. So it's a super big responsibility, but it's also super fun. Love that. So let's dive right in, shall we? We're very excited about Remy's Ratatouille adventure, in particular opening at Epcot course for the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World. Talk to us about expanding the France Pavilion and what you did to make it work for a fictional version of Paris. So it was a big challenge for us. We had seen the attraction at Disneyland Paris and we loved it. And we knew immediately that it would be a perfect fit at Epcot, especially given the fact that, you know, as we look at evolving Epcot and we think about, you know, World Showcase being a place that represents the real world and the amazing stories that it's inspired. Putting Remy's adventure into the France Pavilion was a big challenge for us because for one thing, we had to fit the show box behind the pavilion somewhere. You know, so we had a whole logistical challenge of how do we take what was essentially a back of house area and turn it into an onstage area that looks like it's always been there. So we had to kind of thread the needle through all sorts of utilities and back of house yards and things that had to be relocated. So once we got that all figured out, then we had to challenge, okay, now how do we create this environment for our guests? You know, the France Pavilion is beautiful. You have the iconic Eiffel Tower sitting in the backdrop. 
all the architecture is inspired by real world, you know, French architecture in Paris and other locales. But Remy is, you know, he's from his own, you know, world inspired by Paris, you know. So how do we go from the real world of Paris to Remy's world? So we, we looked at it from the point of view as a guest experiencing this attraction. As I'm walking from the pavilion to the attraction, what am I going to see? And what am I going to feel? What am I going to hear? So, you know, everything from the architecture of the existing buildings was enhanced. We added further details on it to make it more rich and more tactile for our guests walking next to it. Uh, we added a lot of landscaping to create this allay of trees that goes from the existing pavilion back to where you start to turn the corner and face the new attraction. And that's all reminiscent of a very kind of Parisian allay. Or you might think, you know, because we have the canal there with the boats transporting guests to different Walt Disney World resorts, you might even kind of think, oh, this is very reminiscent of the Seine River in Paris. And that's very deliberate. You know, we wanted it to feel that way. But then as you round the corner and you start to see the attraction, now you're starting to be transported into Remy's Paris, you know. So you start to see little elements of that design starting to pervade through from the ornamental iron flower boxes on the buildings or the little rat inspired details in the railing. It sounds so funny to say rat inspired, but it's actually <laughs> a really nice <laughs> It's a really cute little thing, you know, or little footprints in the paving. All of these wonderful little elements start to inject themselves into the design. Wow. And then we pass through these overhead canopies that are inspired by Leal, which was an old marketplace in Paris. It was built in the 1850s with beautiful ornamental ironwork. And it's since been torn down, but we thought, wow, we have to provide shade for our guests to keep them comfortable. But how do we also enhance their experience? We don't want to just put canvas umbrellas out there. What do we do to further the story? So we were really inspired by Leal. And so we designed our shade canopies to, to be reminiscent of that. But once you kind of move through those canopies, then you're truly brought into Remy's world. And we see the Parisian-inspired architecture from the, that's really reminiscent of what's shown in the film. We used a technique called crookedology. It was actually a term that the filmmakers dubbed when they were designing all the art direction for the film where you take kind of what's typical French architecture and you start to add these little nuances of it. So if you've all been to Toontown, you kind of, you know, at Disneyland, it has these kind of very bulbous shapes. There's no right angles. Everything's rounded and friendly. Crookedology doesn't take it that far. It's much more nuanced. You have little offsets in like window details or a gutter is not perfectly straight. It has little bits of angles and things in it. They're all little kind of signs to tell you that, oh yeah, now you're in the in kind of the world that was first shown in the film. It's based on the real world, but it's Remy's own environment. So we loved kind of just exploring that and, and creating an amazing environment for our guests. Wow, that's a lot of detail, <laughs> which leads me to my next question. Do you have a favorite hidden detail that fans should be looking for that Maybe they don't notice on the first time around, but when they go back and look for it, it's it's really a treat. I think, you know, what I love was just the flower boxes in particular that we added to all the buildings. It was, that was a real challenge for us. For one thing, a lot of the buildings structurally had to be enhanced just to be able to support the weights of those flower boxes. But our show designers and our creative designers did such an amazing job working with our artisans to kind of sculpt these custom flower boxes and, and then add the foliage to them to create all these beautiful little touches. And that, to me, it's like the layering of the detail that really makes a Disney park experience better than anyone else because it's so rich. When you walk through, you see something different every time. You're like, was that there before? 
Yes, it was there before, but there was so much for you to see the first time you came through, you just didn't notice it. So it just keeps our guests coming back for more. So I love the flower boxes. I love the manhole covers. I love the ornamental ironwork on the railings. All those little details, I think, are really, really fun. Yeah, when I was there in the, the spring and enjoying one of the gray goose slushies by the, the side that is reminiscent of the sun, I, I turned and I was like, wait, those look like little Remy's in the, in the iron. And it was very cool. So it was something yeah. that uh, I immediately gravitated towards. So I can't wait for everyone who has not had a chance to see it, to see that. I also was lucky enough to experience the attraction in Paris. Can you talk about some of the subtle changes that were made in transferring it to Epcot or bringing it to Epcot? Yeah. So the attraction itself is very similar to the attraction in Paris. You know, it was, you know, why do you have to enhance perfection? We thought it was wonderful. But, you know, obviously we had to make it fit into its site and be respectful of the fabric that's there. So whereas the exterior of that attraction, you know, I think Tom Fitzgerald has explained this really well, is that you don't want to just, for a guest at Disneyland Paris, you don't want to recreate Paris because they can go and see the real thing. And the real thing is amazing. We want our environment to be amazing, but we have to kind of set the stage a little bit differently. And so when we shifted it from France to Orlando, we didn't want to just copy what had been done for France. That was an exterior environment that was crafted for that guest point of view. We realized that our guests at World Showcase, they're going to have a different perspective. They're going to have a different kind of feeling or emotion that's pervading their visit. And so we need to be respectful of that. And so we actually completely redesigned all the exteriors, except for the marquee theater exterior, but all the rest of the facades are totally redesigned. They're referential to the original design, but they've been subtly modified to, for one thing, fit the existing context of the site, fit the existing footprint on the site, accommodate utilities, but also accommodating the kind of, almost the kind of emotional reaction that our guests have to the space they're visiting. We don't want it to be jarring from the adjacent pavilion. We want it to be seamless to the pavilion. So we had to really accommodate that in the new design. One thing on to, to add to that, well, the attraction in Paris ends at that a fabulous restaurant. Here, there's a creperie. Is the creperie itself inspired by Ratatouille? Are there new touches we should be looking at as we're savoring sweets? The creperie is really inspired by kind of an authentic Brittany creperie uh, restaurant. There's some subtle nuances to Ratatouille, but it's still in the part of the pavilion where you're transitioning from the real world of France into Remy's, you know, world of France. So we didn't go all in on making the creperie a Ratatouille environment. I think we wanted it to be kind of an authentic, even contemporary experience. So you can see there's a lot of kind of touches and nods to different materials and color motifs, like the, the Brittany blue on the exterior is a great example, really giving guests an authentic creper experience. And of course, Jerome Bucous, who operates that uh, restaurant is of course a, a legendary French chef. So I'm sure his cuisine is easily gonna live up to it. Mm. Love that. Well, Jonathan, a point of interest for me, when we talk about our park attractions, we, especially as guests, aren't really thinking about how massive a show building is. If you had to give us some idea of an amount of space it takes to house an immersive attraction like this, how exactly would you describe it? 
it's big. <laughs> Without going into too many specifics, I can tell you that we did double the size of the existing France Pavilion by adding this expansion. Wow. But we don't want our guests to necessarily feel that. You know, we don't want them to walk down and see, this is huge. My gosh. You know, we want everything needs to have an intimate scale. Our guests are pedestrians, right? So we want our guests to have that kind of connection. We don't want them to feel like this big, broad avenue or anything. It needs to be close up to them, it needs to be intimate and really kind of a touching, wonderful environment. Our listeners who go to Disneyland, who, you know, it is a little harder to sometimes hide those show buildings and you see the indie show building or you see the, the show building for pirates and you get a sense, particularly from the other side where you feel like you're just going into this temple or you're just in this tiny little street corner in uh, New Orleans, it, it feels very intimate, but then you, you know, occasionally get a glimpse from the street or wherever of, of the buildings and it's shockingly impressive. Yeah, I think, you know, one interesting thing about the France Pavilion expansion is that you can see so much of that from the Skyliner. It was actually a really interesting opportunity for us. Normally, our construction sites are so closed off and invisible to our guests. And here, you know, we realized that, you know, the Skyliner is going to be operating through, you know, a lot of the duration of construction. How do we make it, you know, appropriate for our guests? You know, we're going to be showing a lot of what we don't normally show. And so I, our construction team spent a lot of time thinking about that just in terms of how they strategize scrims and things or what they were going to reveal. But ultimately, we just kind of let it all hang out there. You know, you were able to see a lot of the work going on. And you can see the size of the show building from the back of house areas. And we did work really hard, you know, to screen it from guest view. And, and of course, you know, landscaping plays a big part of that. But ultimately, we still really want to focus on the guest experience within the park and make sure that there's nothing that takes them out of that kind of immersion. Mm. Well, something else coming for the 50th is the creation shop. I feel like we don't normally associate Imagineering with a store, although I will admit I used to go to Mickey's of Glendale like weekly when I was on campus. So <laughs> maybe I have a different perspective. Yeah. But what will make this experience so cool for guests? Well, I think, you know, Epcot as a theme is a lot more ethereal than say like a Pandora environment or a Star Wars environment. You think, how do you translate the ideals of Epcot into an actual visual aesthetic and theme? And I think our team has done a wonderful job with that. You know, certainly we pay the same amount of attention to the development of a store concept as we do to an attraction concept. We have the same story writers and the whole same, you know, type of staff involved with it. For me, being involved on the architectural side of things, you know, what I was really concerned with was how do we take kind of this amazing existing architecture at Epcot that's been there since it first opened and kind of future-proof it for generations going forward. I think over the years, we'd seen a lot of different expansions and modifications going on. And we wanted to just kind of say, we're taking a fresh start. Let's strip all that back. Let's take the building back to its bare elements, its core elements, I should say. And let's really celebrate the roof structure. Let's celebrate the windows and the glazing system and really modernize it, make it much more open and clean for our guests so they can see inside, see the wonderful interior activities that are going on. We let a lot of natural light in. So it really helps to kind of augment that experience. The building itself is now just a vessel. And so when we think about future expansion, it's just all about what do you do on the inside? You know, we don't have to change the outside anymore. We can just switch out the concepts inside and still keep that same vessel. It's almost like a jewel box, right? It just contains the jewelry. So I look at the interior as the jewelry and the building is just kind of the framework for it. 
Mm-hmm. And in thinking about, you know, what creations represents, you know, kind of just dreaming and creativity, I think our interiors uh, folks and our artists and everyone, when you see the artwork that's going to go into that space, you're going to be floored. I mean, it's just going to be incredible. Something else coming is Space 220, the new restaurant that's going to be, well, out of this world. <laughs> so what kind of research does a team have to do to create a restaurant that makes you feel like you're in space when you can't research? Like, you know, it's not like the space station has a patina eatery. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, obviously we did do a lot of research, you know, with, you know, a lot of scientists and things, and we did our own personal research too. Ultimately, it was really about, like, for me as an architect, like, if I was given a commission to (laughs) design something orbiting in space, what would I imagine that to be? And how do I make it kind of an authentic, realistic experience? Designing an elevator that goes 220 miles into space was, like, a real challenge, you know? How do we create that experience for our guests? And so it was just all in partnership with our wonderful special effects partners and, and everyone else involved in the project. You know, I think, you know, we wanted it to really be an authentic experience, a true Epcot experience. So it is definitely something that is based in science. And I think our guests are going to see that when they experience the space. Literally. (laughs) Yeah. Hope you're not afraid of heights. (laughs) (laughs) Truly. Well, sticking with the theme, wait, there's more. Also coming down the pike at Epcot is the new Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind which I am personally really excited for. What can you tell us about this attraction? So awesome. <laughs> I can't wait for it either. It's one of the things I'm most excited about. You know, and I started, it was actually when I came over to the Epcot portfolio, it was the first thing I started working on years and years ago. And at first, you know, they say, we're, we're looking at the energy pavilion. And I thought, wow, the energy pavilion, it's so amazing. How can we top that, right? You know, so we wanted to make sure that as we were designing this, we were creating an experience that was really kind of, you know, it's going to be more amazing than anyone can possibly imagine. There's not an indoor roller coaster like this anywhere on earth. The scale of it, as you can imagine from just seeing the size of the construction site, it's unbelievable. Our show and ride and creative design partners have just, they're continuing to do an amazing job, you know, just executing this work. I can't wait for you all to talk to all of them and find out what's in store for our guests. I don't want to reveal too much just yet, but it, let me, it's just going to be so awesome. Mm, we love it. What a tease. I know. I can't wait. Yeah. Okay. Well, as you mentioned earlier, there is not an attraction at Disneyland that you have not worked on, <laughs> which blows my mind. Can you talk about some of the projects that you worked on there? Sure. So For the first 10 years of my Disney career, I was actually based in the Walt Disney Imagineering Anaheim office, which is a small field office. It has about 30 people or so. And they're just some of the most wonderful Imagineers in the company. It's like a real family working there. And we're just kind of like a strike team almost. When any facility renovation comes up, we get involved and we make sure that whatever work is being done truly matches the original intents of the attraction, doesn't detract from the story. And it really, it all should enhance the story. So during that time, I worked on projects in the Haunted Mansion, Splash Mountain, Pirates of the Caribbean, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, the Matterhorn, Space Mountain, everything you can possibly imagine. Wow. One of the most fun projects down there was when we rebuilt Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. 
And this was about nine years ago, I think. But, you know, we want to make sure that, you know, like the experiences that I had as a child going on the Disney attractions are going to be the same for future generations. And, and so the quality of our facilities is of utmost importance. It was time for Big Thunder Mountain Railroad to go under a significant renovation. We essentially rebuilt the entire attraction. And nobody even knows <laughs> that we did, you know, when you're working on projects like expansion projects like Guardians of the Galaxy, you want everyone to see this amazing new thing. But when you're working on projects like Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, there's definitely show enhancements and you really celebrate that. But at the same time, we're working with iconic historic Disneyland attractions. Our most successful projects open up again and the guests say, this was closed for eight months and you didn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> wow. This might be a hard one to answer, but do you have a favorite Disney Parks attraction that you haven't worked on? I would say it's one of the newest ones, actually, Rise of the Resistance. So I was not on, I the, on the Galaxy's Edge team, but I did get to tour the site a few times as it was opening. And I just, I remember that first time that I got off the transport into the hangar bay with all the stormtroopers standing there. And it just, it blew my mind. And one of the people I was there with, it was also his first time. And he kind of, he, he kind of just fell to a knee and said, you have to be kidding me. We built this. This is unbelievable. Like, mm. and I think you see that in our guest reactions. They think, oh, we're just going on this little shuttle. Oh, what could possibly happen? And it opens up and they're all just stunned standing there. It's just the most wonderful thing. So yeah, Rise of the Resistance, I think for sure is my current favorite. Mm. Yep. Well, Jonathan, we've so enjoyed talking with you today. I could listen to you for forever. I'm here at the edge of my seat, just like, what's he going to say next? What's he going to say next? Mm -hmm. But we do end our interviews with this question. And that is, if you could tell us your favorite Disney memory. My favorite Disney memory was, oh boy, there's so many. No pressure, right? That's a hard question <laughs> to answer. I think, you know what it is? I can tell you what it is. It does have to relate to working there. And it was one of the very smallest projects I worked on was when we reopened Sleeping Beauty Castle in Anaheim. Oh, this was a while ago, but it was a very small project, you know, but I think it was something that our fans were the most excited for. Everyone, it was all hands on deck at the end. So we're all out there overnight, getting all the little dioramas ready to go, making sure all the lighting worked, making sure everything was ready right up until about five minutes before we were supposed to open the doors to our guests. And the great thing about that was we were all able to just kind of stand aside and watch our guests come through and to see people like almost crying with joy at being able to walk through our most historic and iconic castle, you know, Walt's castle again. It was so rewarding. I remember it so vividly to this day that I think that's my fondest memory of Disney. Love that. Those enhancements were pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jonathan, thank you so much for being here. Congratulations on uh, on reaching the home stretch now for Remy and the, the Paris expansion and Creation Shop and Space 220. And we can't wait to see what's next. Thank you so much. All right, you guys. So when we are there, which will have already happened by the time this comes out, but we are going to pretend like it hasn't. But when we are there, we have to go and find all of those cool rat details that he talked about because yes. that just seems like very fun. We'll, we, we'll need to take photos. Sherry will pose with the wrought iron rat. I'm very in. <laughs> I can pose as a rat, said rat. I mean, Anything people frequently, they frequently call me a rat. I don't know. 
But thank you again for listening to D23 Inside Disney. Don't forget to like and share this episode wherever you listen or subscribe. If you want to chat with us, just hashtag D23 Inside Disney. And for all the latest Disney info, check out D23.com. Tune in tomorrow to watch a very special episode with the three of us on the internet from Walt Disney World celebrating the 50th anniversary. And we'll be back next week with more Disney news and a fantastic guest on an all new episode of D23 Inside Inside Disney. Disney.